Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 2. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 2. We're continuing with our series of the life and ministry of Solomon, King Solomon of the United Kingdom. Of course, his father was King David, the man after God's own heart. And after David had reigned for 40 years, it is now Solomon's turn. And we've already witnessed the birth of Solomon and how Solomon came to pass between David and his sin with Bathsheba. We saw that the continuation of how Solomon was raised. And now that he became king, we saw the events of him becoming king. We saw David's advice to him. And then David beginning to address the crowd. And now that Solomon is king, he is now doing a time of purging. A time of uh, getting rid of some of these people who are going to be a hindrance to his reign. And what we're doing is we've come to some of these significant people. We're doing a character study on these people so we can get a little bit of a background, a little bit of understanding of why these people are so important to the life and ministry of David, to the life and ministry of Solomon. What's brought them to this place of the end? As we had saw, we had Adonijah, the David's son, who for all intents and purposes was a good guy who tried to bypass God's will. We saw Abathar the priest who he tried to bypass God's will in order to preserve himself because of bitterness. And we saw that he needed to be removed from the equation. Now we come to another person who's very significant, very, very important inside of the history of Israel. In fact, as you go through David's life, every significant event that David went through, Joab was there. Notice if you don't mind as we see the end of his life in the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 2. The book of 1 Kings chapter 2, and notice with me starting at verse 28. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 28. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled into the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled into the tabernacle of the Lord. And behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, saying, Go fall upon him. And Benaniah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaniah brought the king word again, saying, Thus saith Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said unto him, Do as he has said, fall upon him and bury him. 
that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and slew them with a sword. My father David, not knowing thereof, to wit, Abner the son of Ner, the captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David and upon his seed and upon his house and upon his throne shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaniah the son of Jehodiah went up and fell upon him and slew him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is said about Joab in the book of 1 Kings chapter 2? The book of 1 Kings chapter 2. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 31, notice the phrase, innocent blood which Joab shed. Innocent blood which Joab shed. And with this, we're going to do a character study with Joab. And there's probably no better apt description of Joab than this. The innocent blood which Joab shed. The innocent blood which Joab shed. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for the great privilege it is to be in your house today, to be able to open up your Bible and to review this history and to see what an important person Joab was to the history of Israel. And we could see what led him to this event, what led him to his doom that we could go ahead and apply and see the principle that we could learn from his life. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever we study the Bible, oftentimes people, when they approach the Bible, feel like if there's someone that's given significant real estate, significant screen time within the story of the Bible, that they must be some sort of saint that uh, has the virtues that you want to follow. That they have in mind that every person in the Bible must be some great holy master who is so right with God. Whereas we see that even the most known people in the Bible had flaws and they were feet of clay just like we were. Moses was a murderer. Paul was a murderer. David was a murderer. And those are three of the most significant people in the Bible. When we come to Joab, we want to paint him as a bad guy, but at the same time, we can see that his role was so significant throughout the history of Israel. When we find him here at the end of his life, we find a man who is trying to use the close walk that Solomon had against him. He goes into the tabernacle and he goes into the tabernacle and grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. This is the brazen altar where people would make the sacrifices that would um, picture their sins uh, payment being taken away. And he goes ahead of that and asking for the blood to be applied, asking for mercy to happen. And <coughs> Solomon sends his chief of staff, the, the general of the armies, Benaniah, to go and take him. And the idea was is that Benaniah would show up and say, Joab, well, let's go. But Joab says, no, I'm not letting go. <laughs> no. And his idea, his hope is like he could show that he's very serious that maybe Solomon would spare his life. Benaniah sends back and says, he's not leaving. Well, 
kill him there. All right. And they take him there. And Solomon announces why? Because uh, Joab had shed innocent blood and he was making sure that that innocent blood would not splatter upon Solomon, that Solomon was going to not allow some murderer to continue to go free, that there was going to be justice. And we're going to see the principle of life. Now, as we study characters, we know that there are different ways to study the Bible. You could study the Bible by its books, which is a very wonderful way of doing. Take a book of the Bible and walking through. We could study the Bible by its themes. There's great themes throughout the Bible. There's the theme of the scarlet thread of redemption that's woven all throughout the Bible. There's the theme of the golden strand of Christ's second coming woven throughout the Bible. We could study the Bible by its topics like hell or angels or eternity. We could study the Bible by its words and doing word studies and seeing that the very words of God are significant and important. And then we could study the Bible by its characters, understanding that we take a person's life and examine it. And we're looking for one thing. Every person's life, including yours, teaches a message. Every person's life teaches a message. And in order to see that message, we have to examine and look at that person's life inside of the context of its life. Now, because Joab had so many significant events, we're going to kind of go through them, but a lot of it, it's going to be storytelling. Uh, Of course, we could take the time to read the passage, but if you can allow me to do some storytelling as we go through here and try to tell you the story of Joab and kind of get a history, kind of get a sense of who this person was and how, as we now see him groveling and holding on to the altar, what led to him being there. Well, the first thing we want to see as we look at Joab's life is Joab's loyalty to David. Joab's loyalty to David. One of David's sisters was Zeruah. And Zeruah had three sons, Abishai, Joab, and Ashiel. Based on the order given in 1 Chronicles, Joab would have been... (coughs) to appear to be the younger brother of Abishai. Abishai would be older, Joab would be younger. It's likely that Joab was younger than his uncle David. Remember, this is a relationship. Joab is technically David's nephew. David would be older, Joab would be younger. So when David died at 80 years old, Joab was still very much alive and very much active within the political intrigues of the kingdom, which we had saw with the uh, rebellion of Adonijah, that Joab was throwing his support, his political clout with that. Now, during the early days of David's kingdom, Joab was old enough to command the respect of the army. So we are just kind of getting the age of Joab during these events. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to 1 Kings 22. Uh, Sorry, 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. We're going back and trying to get the history. And we're seeing where Joab enters into this accounting, into the story, into the events of the history of Israel. And we go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. If you remember the setting of 1 Samuel 22, King Saul is on the throne. 
And King Saul has a problem with David. And so David has fled for his life. And at the very beginning when David fled, he was fled all by himself. He goes to hide in some caves near the Dead Sea, just figuring that he was just going to hide out there and he was going to be alone. But God was at work. Notice with me in 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22 and notice with me in verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. So as David is hiding by himself, he doesn't want to get anyone else involved. He's in some caves that in order to get to these caves, you actually would have to climb straight up. And as David is hiding from the cave, maybe he has a campfire going on deep in the cave so they can't see it out. He hears some noise, hears some shuffling. And he looks and he could see a hand reach up to the opening and then see someone pull it in and he sees there's his dad, there's Jesse. And he helps pull Jesse in and there's his mom. And then there's his brother and another brother and his sister and the in-laws. And they all begin to come. Why? Because when Saul is now after David, because he could not get a hold of David, he is starting to put threats upon David's family. So now David's family is at risk. And so they flee. They go find where David's at. But notice that's not all. Verse 2. And everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented. Aren't you so thankful that no matter who's in debt, who's in distress and who's discontented, discontented, if you ever needed an alliterated message about salvation, there you go. Jesus will take everyone. You just had to go. Everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became a captain over them and there were about 400 men. Now it doesn't give Joab's name there but it is implied and referred later on because he is one of David's family. He's married or he is the son of David's sister. And so he's one of these 400 men who now come to join David and he becomes one of David's mighty men who are now going to be warriors banded together because of the threatenings of Saul. So he joins with David. (coughs) This very much could have been for their own protection as well as loyalty to David. So while he's not mentioned by name, he is now hooked up with him. The next time Joab is mentioned is in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 6. (laughs) Notice with me, if you don't mind, let's look there. 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and verse 6. 1 Chronicles 11, 6. We're going to look at a couple different passages. And because uh, Chronicles and Samuel uh, and Kings are all going to be parallel passages, sometimes we can look at these different information. First Chronicles 11 and verse 6. So David is now uh, ruling. Saul has died. He is now ruling over the southern kingdom. Now as he gets the northern kingdom joined with him, he wants to get a different capital. And so he begins to look at the different cities. Notice with me, if you don't mind, let's get a head start. a start at verse number four. First Chronicles 11 verse four. And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, meaning that before it was called Jerusalem, the city was called Jebus, where the Jebusites lived. That's of course, that's Jebusites would live in Jebus. 
the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is another name of Jerusalem, which is the city of David. And so it gives the overall. Now we go back to the specifics. Verse 6. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So David said, All right, boys. We're going to go take Jerusalem. We're going to go take that. So the first one to go and kill someone and start taking that capital, you're going to be general of my brand new army. Well, guess who's the first one to step up? Verse 6, and David said, whoever smiteth the Jebusites shall be fir uh, first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zorah, went first up and was chief. And David dwelt in the castle thereof. They called it the city of David. And he built the city round about, even from Milo around, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. So as we see David here, David is ruling as king, and he picks the capital. And as he picks the capital, there's a problem. There's people living there. So David has a contest. Whoever's going to be my new general, they're the one who's going to take it. So Joab says, go. We learn about Joab that, first of all, he's not afraid to go to battle. He's not afraid to go in battle. We could see that he has some courage there and some gumption. And we could see that he was very much motivated. In fact, we're going to learn that killing is going to be second nature to him. He has no problems with this. And so he becomes commander in chief. He is the general of all the armies underneath of David. And now he's there and he's for fiercely loyal to David. In fact, through the rest of his life, that's going to be one common thread. He never wavered on his loyalty to David. In fact, you may say it like this. He was David's faithful murderer. Which now, let's start counting down the murders. So now he's general. He's proven himself valiant. He's proven himself brave and courageous. He's proved himself as a man who could lead others and inspire others to follow him. Let's go to his first murder. Joab kills Abner, captain of the host of Israel. He kills Abner, captain of the host of Israel. It was mentioned in the passage before where Solomon was listing off the people he killed. Let's look at the historical figure in 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. <laughs> now, in the book of first, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2, that what is happening is that there is a war in a civil war going on in Israel. After Saul died, David now becomes king of the tribe of Judah and the, tri <laughs> of the tribes that are near him. The other 10 tribes have joined Saul's son, Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth has a general by the name of Abner. And so for seven years, there's a civil war going on between Judah and Israel between David and Ishbosheth, between the two generals of Joab and <coughs> Abner. Now, Joab does not like Abner, and the reason why is because Joab's brother Abishai was killed by Abner. We're not going to turn there, but what happened is that there was a big squirmish, and Abishai began to chase after Abner. As Abner is running, Abishai is uh, chasing after him. Abishai is named that one because he was called a uh, fleet of foot. He was very fast runner. So Abner's running. Abishai is running behind him. And they're running and running and running and they're running for a long time. Abner turns and says, stop following me. 
Otherwise, I'm going to kill you. This is your chance to go away. Abishai says, I'm not. You're not getting away. Abner kept warning him. I'm going to kill you. If, you if, if, if we stop, I'm going to turn around and kill you. Just run now. Well, Abishai didn't stop. So Abner stopped, took his knife, and Abishai ran into it. Abishai died. And Joab is not happy that Abner killed his brother. So there's a civil war going on, and Abner is (laughs) seen very much as the enemy. Joab does not like his enemy. That's the rival general. Let's get rid of him. Well, Abner and Ishbosheth has a little bit of falling falling out. Ishbosheth begins to get paranoid, begins to think Abner's trying to take the kingdom, trying to do some things behind the scenes, and yells at Abner. Abner's been nothing but loyal, and he gets mad, says, fine, you want to see that way? Give... <laughs> you're on your own. He goes to David and says, listen, how would you like all of Israel? I'll surrender the whole army to you right now. And David says, okay, cool. Let's do that. And he, so they come to a peace agreement between David and Abner. And Abner begins to walk away out of the palace. Joab comes in and says, is that Abner? Hey, what's, why, why is he walking away? How come no one's arrested him? That's the bad guy in it. That's the general that we hate. And David said, oh, no, no, that's no big deal. Uh, we just came to a peace agreement. We won. Congratulations, Joab. Good job. Joab says, great, I'll be right back. Hey, Abner, come here. Abner said, oh, was there something else that needs to go on? He says, yeah, come here. And when no one was looking, Joab took a knife and plunged it in and said, that was for my brother. And killed him. Here's a general who had surrendered, surrendered the whole army, came to peace agreement, and Joab murdered him. That is not in the rules of war. That was cold-blooded murder. Joab was very much guilty of it. It wasn't an enemy general beating on the field. It was a general who had already surrendered and came to a peace agreement and very much had murdered him. In fact, let's just see the passage here in 2 Samuel chapter number uh, 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. And notice in verse 26. 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 26. When Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again to the well of Sirah. But David knew it not. Notice this. David did not know Joab's plan. Joab's doing this behind David's back. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak to him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the brother of Ashiel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest upon the hand of Joab and on his father's house and let it not fail from the house of Joab, one that hath issue or one is a leper or leaneth on his staff or falleth on the sword or lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother Ashiel at Gibeon in the battle. And so they have a big mourning and they have a big thing. David tries to do things right that he's trying to respect the general. But uh, Joab very much had killed him uh, for his brother's death. Well, that's not all. So not only was that Abner, (laughs) we now come to another murder that was mentioned. He killed, Joab killed Amasa, captain of the host of Judah. This is going to be found in 2 Samuel chapter number 20. 2 Samuel chapter 20, and if once again you allow me to go to storytelling mode. Later on, years later, David's son Absalom 
begin to uh, rebel. And it was such a rebellion, David had to flee Jerusalem, fled for his life. Now there's a little mini civil war going on. And now when the dust is cleared, Absalom had a general by the name of Amasa. Now Amasa was very good at his job and he wasn't evil, he wasn't wicked. And so when peace was restored, David said, you know what Amasa? You got some good qualities. You're loyal, you're faithful, you are good at your job. I'm going to promote you to general. Well, there was a problem that Joab didn't like competition. And so when David was making a march uh, to take care of a minor little squirmish, a minor little rebellion, he sent a Mesa to lead the troops and not Joab. Well, Joab does not take this well. Let's pick this up in First Samuel or Second Samuel chapter twenty. Second Samuel chapter twenty, and notice with me in verse nine. Uh, notice with me in verse eight for the for the um, context. And when they were at the great stone which is at Gibeon, Amasa went before them. And Joab's garment that he put on was girded with him, and upon it the girdle, with a sword fastened in his loins, and the sheath thereof. And he went and fell and forth, and it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Are thou in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with the right hand to kiss him. But Amasa took no heed to the sword that was in Joab's hand, so he smote him with in the fifth rib. Uh, and struck his bowels to the ground and struck him not again so he died and Joab and Abishai his brother pursued after Sheba the son of Bercha and then they just kind of threw um, a mesa off on the side of the hill and just let him there and he led the army so once again Joab had no reason to get rid of Amasa other than Amasa was a threat to his job. So Amasa is marching out. Joab, who's this old wise general, calls him and says, hey, let me talk to you. Well, what are you going to say? This is a wise old general who knows what he's talking about. And so Joab did a little trick where he uh, drops his sword on the ground. I mean, because when he's hugging him, he can't draw a sword. So he drops the sword to the ground. Then when they had an old custom, it's weird, he grabbed him by his beard and was going to give him like a kiss on each cheek, just a kind of a greeting. Well, as he grabbed him by the beard and put him down, he had the sword which was on the ground and just shoved it up, killed him, looked in his eyes, put him on the ground, threw him down the hill, and then went to the army and said, guess what, boys? Amasa can't make it today. I'm your new general. Let's go. And they marched off and took care of that rebellion. Another cold-blooded man. He's not a good guy. Now, he's very much loyal to David. What's his reasoning? Well, his reasoning is, is that I could do a better job than anyone else, and David needs the top people in command. I love David, so I'm going to stay in charge. He thought he was doing David a favor by all of these murders. But that's not all. We see that Joab killed Absalom, David's son. We see this in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 18. So right before this, 2 Samuel chapter 18. Joab was not above ignoring David's command if he did not agree with it. If he didn't think it was in David's best interest. Nothing is more evident than Absalom's rebellion. David gave clear instructions. He gave all of the generals. And not only all the generals, he had all the people. And before the generals, hey, This is the last battle. We're going to defeat Absalom. Do not kill my son. Did you hear that? He made sure they all acknowledged. Do you hear that? Yes. Don't kill my son. That's my, don't kill my son. So Joab 
goes out in the army and (coughs) Absalom had this long flowing hair. It was so long and flowing that every year he would pull it up and weigh it just to see how much his hair weighed. And so as he's riding out on his donkey in the middle of the war, his hair got caught in a tree. And the mule walked on. And it was the day that God hung a hippie. He's just hanging there in his hair. He's all stuck behind, dangling his hair. Can you imagine? Ladies, you guys know when your hair gets pulled. He's, he's, he's getting hung by his hair. And he's stuck. And a young soldier comes to Joab and says, Hey, Absalom's stuck in a tree. We won. We won. And Joab looks at him and says, Well, did you kill him? No, David told me don't kill him. The enemy's right there. He's defenseless. Why wouldn't you kill him? I'm not touching him. Joab says, let me show you, it's done. He takes three darts and puts it in Absalom's heart and kills him. Why? He's just hanging there defenseless. And he comes back and says, you know what? It's done. David's like, it's my boy. You killed my boy. And David begins to cry and mourn till finally Joab comes up and says, David, stop crying, man up. Listen here. He was the bad guy. He was trying to defeat you. And you're making a big deal. When you're crying out in public like this, you're making everyone who fought for you and their sacrifice worthless. You man up and you get out there and you thank all those people for fighting you and you stop crying like a little girl. Go. I mean, he had no problems talking to David and telling David, listen here, man up. See, Joab knew as long as Absalom lived, Absalom was always going to be a problem because David refused to discipline his kids. You know what was going to happen? Absalom was going to go back and David's going to like, bad Absalom, bad Absalom, don't do that again. Okay, I won't. And he was going to go out there and try to do it again. Joab says, listen, David's just foolish here. We know him and his kids, he won't discipline him. So I took care of it so he could never be a threat again. I took care of business. And he needs to man up. You said, why doesn't David do anything about this? Why doesn't he fire him? I mean, he's killed people. And David's acknowledged that he's killed people. And he killed your boy. Why didn't he do that? Well, that's because there was another murder that Joab was a part of. And there was Uriah. You see, David had a time where he was a bad guy. And he had cheated with Bathsheba. And when Bathsheba was now expecting, he tried to call the husband Uriah and he tried to make it so Uriah would go back home, but Uriah refused. Now David has a problem. He was hoping to cover it up and that, you know, people couldn't do math and and figured that, oh, look, Uriah was back. And so therefore uh, this child is Bathsheba's and Uriah's. But when he refused to go home, it kind of ruined that plan. And so David trusted Uriah so much that he wrote his own death sentence, gave it to Uriah, sealed up and said, don't look at it, go give it to Joab. And Uriah said, yes, sir. Here you go, Joab. David has these orders for you. Joab takes it. You can imagine him reading it. The instruction said, go to the hottest part of the battle, put Uriah up front, and then withdraw all your forces and let him and whoever he's with die. Now, If he was a general who cared for his people as much as he said, he would have looked at it and said, I'm not going to kill one of my trusted men. But Joab said, okay. And Joab 
is the one that carried out the orders to murder Uriah for no reason other than David wanted him murdered. Why did David do that? Because he knew he was a murderer. I could, if I need someone murdering, I know who to go to. And so David went to him. But now David can't do anything to Joab because Joab knew that David was responsible for a murder. Can't fire me for murdering people because you did it too. You know, it's one thing to have a scandal where there was adultery in leadership. We saw that in our country. People commit adultery, no big deal, whatever. But if you could prove a murder, that'd be something else. And so, you know, it's one thing for people to kind of, oh, well, David messed up. But if they found out that David was responsible for murdering one of his own men, that would be a big deal. So Joab always had an ace in the hole. (laughs) David's not going to do anything to me. I'm going to out him out. I could tell everyone what David did. But again, why did David turn to Joab? Because he knew Joab was a murderer and knew that he would have no problems killing one of his own men. Trusted generals out in the field. Okay, that's what David wants. Which now brings us to Joab choosing Adonijah. Now, when Solomon is supposed to be the king, David is sick. We have saw that before. We saw Adonijah. Adonijah is one of David's sons and technically was the oldest living child. All the rest of the uh, brothers before Adonijah had died. We had um, Amnon who was killed by Absalom. We had Absalom who died in the rebellion. There was a third brother who died in his as a child. That means Adonijah. Adonijah should have been the next in line. But they take the baby son, Solomon, and he was going to be the one and son. So Adonijah grabs all the people that he could get to support him. He grabs the high priest who has bitterness against the other high priest. You come with me and I'll make sure you're the only high priest. He goes to Joab, who Joab now has Benaniah, who's now a rival. Now Joab is a little bit older. He's probably 60, 70 years old. I mean, that's a big deal. If you're going to go fight someone who knows what they're doing and they're still in the young, I'm not going to be able to murder this guy. He probably knows all my tricks. So he says, Adonijah, I'll support you if you keep me general. You keep me in charge. Don't let this Benaniah guy. No problem. You're on my side. And so he supports this rebellion that comes up. So now (laughs) when Solomon is shown king, as David pronounces David king, and remember we had saw that, that they were having their secret meeting beyond the trash pit and the people knock on the door, hey, Solomon's king. And everyone looks at Adonijah and scurries like cockroaches to get away before they get caught. Well, a lot of them were caught. And before David dies, he gets to Solomon and comes down and says, hey, don't let Joab die in peace. Don't let him die in peace. So when when Joab saw that Solomon was cleaning house, he fired Abathar. He got rid of Adonijah. He's already made these threats, cleaning out house for these other people. Joab says, "Uh uh-oh, my name's next on the list. So before the death warrant could come out, he goes up to the temple and he's like, oh, okay, I'm going to stay here. He's not going to kill me inside of the temple and I'm never going to leave this place ever, 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 ever. 
Well, he miscalculated because Solomon did take him out. Now, turn back to me where we started, if you don't mind. <laughs> In the book of 1 Kings chapter 20, uh, 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. Now remember, everybody's life teaches a message. Now, before you get the wrong idea, the, the life that we're, lesson that we're getting from Joab is, is it's not our right to murder. That's not the lesson. That Joab didn't get away with it. In fact, that's opposite of what we're seeing here. Notice with me in 1 Kings chapter number 2, 1 Kings 2. And notice with me in verse 31 again. And the king said unto him, do as he hath said, fall upon him and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me in the house of my father. Verse 32. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and slew them with the sword, my father David, not knowing thereof to wit. Abner, the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Their blood shall therefore return to the head of Joab and to the head of his seed forever. But upon David and upon his seed and upon his house, upon his throne, shall there be peace forever with the Lord. So what is the lesson that we learn from this. Well, turn with me, if you don't mind, to Galatians chapter 6, and let's learn the principle. What do we learn from Joab's life? Joab, who had murdered so many people and was used to murder people, who had no problems killing, he was someone who was useful in David's army, and once again, he was there at every significant event in David's life, even ones we haven't mentioned yet. He was there when David numbered the people. It was Joab that yelled at him. By the way, how bad and off the track do you have to be when Joab's the one giving you advice, telling you moral, you know, what you should do to be right with God? I mean, how off the path do you have to be? But what lesson do we learn? Now Joab is the one being killed. What is the principle that we learn? Galatians chapter 6 says this. Galatians chapter 6 starting at verse 7. Be not deceived. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. What we see here is be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We learn that there is a payday someday. There is a payday someday. Joab thought he could go through all of his life in murder and get away with it because he had a secret of David's. David will never get rid of me. I'm always going to be safe. But let me tell you, he took God out of the equation. Be not deceived for God is not mocked. God saw all of his murders. God saw everything that was happened. And so it is not surprising that <laughs> Joab was killed. He that liveth by the sword dieth by the sword. He had spent all of his life killing and being used as a killer. It is no surprise that he was killed in turn. Be 
not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What is the principle we learn from here? Well, we understand the principle of reaping and sowing. Everyone is reaping what they sow. Now, (laughs) we live in agriculture country out here. We understand the principle that if I put a piece of corn in the ground, when it comes up, what am I going to produce? A cat? A whale? Green beans? I'm going to get a corn, right? The law of biogenesis, everything reproduces after its own kind. Everything healthy organism reproduces itself. If I plant corn, I'm getting corn. So we understand we reap exactly what we sow. We also understand we reap more than what we sow. If I plant one piece of corn in the ground, am I only getting one piece of corn back? I'm getting a stalk that's going to have several cobs of corn. I'm going to reap more than what I sow. We also understand this principle. You reap later than what you sow. For example, if I put a piece of corn in the ground now and I water it and let sunshine hit it and the next morning I run out and am I expecting a plant? No. No. I always reap later than what I sow. Be not deceived for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Joab had reaped or had sowed death and destruction, murder into the ground. He is going to reap exactly what he sowed. He's going to reap uh, more than what he sowed. And he is also going to reap later than what he sowed. That principle applies to everyone. You know, someone can live their life for the world, for their flesh. And guess what you're going to get? You're going to get exactly what you sowed. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There is a payday someday. Now, some people think they get away with sin. That they committed a sin and lightning didn't strike, the building didn't fall in, and I must be good. It's all right. And so they'll continue to do sin. They think they got away with it. But be not deceived For God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You understand there is a payday someday. There is a time that you are going to reap what you sow. And one day you're going to stand before God and give an account. You understand you may think that you got away with it. You may think that nobody else knows about it. You may think that it is well hidden and well buried. But of course, if you're going to plant crops, that's exactly what you do with the seed as you bury it. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can live your life in disobedience to God and you're going to reap the consequences of disobedience to God. You can live your life in sin and you're going to reap the consequences of sin. There is a payday Someday, which is the problem that we have, that every single one of us are sinners for they're all of sin and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And there is a payday someday. You may think that you get away with that sin now and you may think that everything is all right, but you understand one day you're going to have to stand before God and give an account. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That every single one of us deserve death because of our sin. Our disobedience to our folks, we deserve death. Because of our lying, we deserve death. That's a big sentence. 
But there is a payday someday. We're so thankful that God understood that and so he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. To give us forgiveness of sins full, free, and forever. And we're thankful that we could be forgiven of the penalty of sin in dealing with our regard to God. But we do also understand there are consequences on this earth. Someone can say, you know what? I don't have to listen to God. I can do whatever I want. I'm saved. Praise the Lord. I'm going to heaven. But you continue to live your life according to the flesh. You will reap the consequences of it. There is a payday someday. You say, why are you telling me this? Well, first of all, preventative maintenance. If I could warn you beforehand not to go fall into sin, then that's the best thing to do. You say, well, what about me? I, I've piled up a bunch. What you can do is start from where you are and move forward. Amen. And that you could start planting good fruit. Notice in verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. We understand that we need to start working now. Start from where you are. We're not talking about making amends and atoning. We're saying that we need to start getting a different crop to come in. Those other ones are going to grow. But we need to start working and start working for and laboring for the good crop. Verse number 9, as an encouragement for those of you who have already decided to follow after the Lord. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. You understand that you may be saying, listen, I turned my life around and I'm trying to live and I'm still seeing some of those bad fruit. When is the good fruit going to come? Remember, you always reap later than what you sowed. There's going to be a season where you'll reap the good consequences, the good fruit, but it will be later. We understand this is a principle of life that you will reap what you sow. Now's the time to start thinking. There are consequences for your actions. And remember, sin will always take you further than you ever wanted to go and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. The biggest danger there is is to think that you have sin handled when in fact sin has handled you. Now's the time to make a decision. I can't do anything about yesterday, but I could start today. You start from where you are and you start reaping or planting, sowing the seeds of goodness. Start doing what is right. Notice with me in verse 10. And as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them that are of the household of faith. Who is the household of faith? Those that are uh, members of the local church. Those who have accepted Christ as our Savior. That there is an investment we can do here. And working with people here. And loving on people now. That you can't do anything about the con things you did in the past. But you understand there's this idea of reaping and sowing. That we can start from where we are. And on purpose start doing what's right. Start loving on people. That you said well I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Well help someone else be where they should be at. Start helping them out. And you'll find that you are start helping yourself as well. Because you be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That warning is for both the good seed and the bad seed. You say, well, I've given my life to try to do what's right. Be, be not weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. That's what we learn from the life of Joab. Is be not deceived, for God is not mocked. 
For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We learn a big lesson. We will reap what we sow. Let's make sure that we're sowing the right thing. If you don't mind, let's... Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.